The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning again. Uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor and it is good to be with you. Um, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning. Um, and I promise it's not usually this warm. Um, so the heat is definitely working. In fact, um, I'm going to take off my coat. I don't need, like, anyone saying anything, you know. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so we don't need to worry about the heaters working. But, but we are glad that you're here with us. And um, I know that there uh, might be a lot of reasons why you're here various reasons, right? Maybe uh, you were drugged here by a parent or a friend. Maybe uh, you are here with great excitement and anticipation because you come every week and you look forward to being together with friends and, and the body of Christ. Maybe you're here and you're not sure why you're here. It's been many years or, or maybe you've never set foot in a church before. But, but regardless, whatever the reason might be that you are here, I want you to know that we are glad you're here. And that uh, we hope that what you find is uh, kindness and compassion, hospitality and welcome, and uh, people that are uh, seeking God's grace and his gospel. So uh, welcome, uh, guests and visitors. Well, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series in the book of Mark. So the gospel of Mark, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark is a New Testament book. It is the second book in the New Testament, so it should be fairly uh, easy to find if you're not familiar with uh, the, the Bible. But uh, Mark is written by a man named John Mark. Uh, he appears in the book of Acts. He was a contemporary of Peter. And in fact, m many within the early church, some of the early church fathers, believed that Mark is Peter's understanding or recollection of the gospel dictated by Peter to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. So there's some uh, historical evidence for that and some early church fathers who believe that. Now, from the passage itself, from the gospel account, we don't have 100% uh, certainty that that might be. I mean, it's possible, maybe even probable, but we can't be 100% certain that this is Peter instructing Mark in what to write. But what we can know, what we do know, is that of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is the shortest, it's the briefest. And when it comes to the different details, the different events that we come across, Mark moves through them very quickly. It's a very fast book, it's a fast-paced book. In fact, we'll come to passages that Mark only uses one or two verses to describe an event, whereas maybe Luke or, or Matthew will take up a whole chapter to describe it moves very quickly, and so because of that, there's going to be times throughout this series that we're going to look at some of the other Gospels to fill in some of the details, to help us understand what's going on. We also know that in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are often portrayed poorly. Their foibles, their failings, the ways that they mess up, the ways that they trip up, that, that they, they're not hidden in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, they seem to come out fairly frequently. But most importantly, the Gospel of Mark is the story of Jesus. It's most importantly the story of Jesus. And Jesus in Mark is depicted as the king of promise, the king who has come, the king who gives us life. 
And so with that little bit of background into this gospel, let's go ahead and read the first eight verses of chapter 1. This is what Mark writes, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt round his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that you would be with us now, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would teach us and show us the way. Father, I speak, and with all those who listen, that we would hear your good news, and we would walk with you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So when my family and I moved here from St. Louis, uh, roughly about seven and a half years ago, we knew that when we left, there were going to be things that we were going to miss, right? We were going to miss uh, a beautiful, the beautiful art museum. We were going to miss a world-class zoo. We were, of course, going to miss the Cardinals. But, um, but we also knew that there were things we weren't going to miss. We weren't going to miss the terribly hot and oppressive summers. St. Louis is brutally hot. And we weren't going to miss the, the terribly cold winters, but... Turns out uh, they came with us anyway. Um, and, and the other thing that I knew we weren't going to miss was the sound of sirens. The sound of sirens. And when I say sirens, I'm referring to tornado sirens. You see, the very first month that we were there, I remember hearing the siren for the first time. It was outside, and, and all of a sudden, the, it just filled the air, right? This terrible blast. And if you're inside or outside, you could hear it. And, and I remember thinking, this is strange. This is bizarre because... There wasn't a cloud in the sky, and the sky was blue, and there was no breeze, and there was no threat of a storm, and yet there were the sirens. It was very disorienting. It was, it was bizarre. And then over the sound of the sirens came a voice, right, a voice being proclaimed throughout the city and the county saying, this has been a test of the annual, da, 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 da. you know, I don't know the exact words, but basically it was a test, right? They're testing the system. And so I knew after that that on the second Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it was at 10.30 in the morning, regardless of what the weather was like, we were going to hear those sirens. And after you knew that this was a test, you didn't really pay attention to it, right? You just kind of waited out and then you picked up your conversation where you left off. You didn't think anything of it. You ignored the sirens. But when it wasn't a test, when it wasn't on that Tuesday, when it wasn't at 10.30 in the morning, you'd never ignored the sound of the sirens. No, you didn't ignore them because you knew that when those sirens went off, there was a threat. There was a threat coming that could change our lives, right? That there was this tornado that was going to come. And so when the sirens came, whether you were sleeping, whether you were working, whatever you were doing, you would stop what you were doing and you'd go into the basements. And so I remember taking our kids, right? Waking up, blurry-eyed, right? Our sleep interrupted and we go into the basement and ride out the storm. You didn't ignore the sirens. You heeded their warning. 
And I'm glad that we did, like that time when the tornadoes uh, touched down less than two miles from our house. Right? In those times, you want to heed the siren call. You want to listen for it, and you want to, you want to know and be aware that this thing that will change your life is on its way. And it will, right? I mean, you've seen the destruction of a tornado coming through a, a, a street, landing in a backyard. It will radically change your life. And so you listen to its call. You heed its warning. Well, the first eight verses of Mark is like that siren call. It's like that siren call. Now, it's not a siren exactly, but it is a call. It's a call going out into the wilderness. It's an announcement that something, someone is coming that will change your life. That's what the first eight verses of Mark are. An announcer who is coming in and interrupting our day with an announcement that something incredible, something life-changing is coming. And it's not a siren that's being, that we hear. It's actually the sound of a herald. A herald, like an announcer interrupting your favorite TV show, a ring waking us from sleep. It is the call of an announcement. Someone is coming, and you want to be ready. So who is this announcer? That's what I want us to look at. I want to look at the announcer, the one who calls, and I want to look at the announcement, what he's calling us to. Well, the announcer we see in verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. So we see the announcer in Mark's gospel is John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. Baptist isn't referring to a denomination, right? It's not John the Methodist, John the Lutheran. I mean, if, if, if it was, certainly he would have been John the Presbyterian, right? <laughs> I mean, certainly. No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, uh, so uh, he's, the Baptist there isn't referring to a denomination. It's not referring to a theological persuasion or perspective. It's referring to what he was doing. He was baptizing. That's what he was doing. Right? People were coming out into the wilderness and he was baptizing them. So he was John the baptizer. Okay? Now, now, we're not really given much more in Mark's gospel about John, right? Remember earlier I said Mark just moves through things really quickly. But if we turn to the gospel of Luke, we find out more about him. Like in Luke chapter 1, we're told that John is the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were unique because Zechariah and Elizabeth were elderly and they were well past the stage in the age of having children. And they didn't have any children and they thought that they would live their whole life childless. But then the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, Elizabeth is going to bear a child. And so this child was John and John was the cousin of Jesus and what we're told then, because of this declaration by the angel, is that John's conception was miraculous. It was miraculous. It was the work of God. But we also see in Mark's gospel that John's coming was the fulfillment of a prophecy. You see it in verses 2 and 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So this is a prophecy, it's actually two prophecies, one from Isaiah as well as Malachi. And here what we're being told is, is that this promise, this prophet that would come, he has come. And this would have been significant 
Because in his coming, there had been roughly about 300 years of prophetic silence for God's people. Roughly 300 years, there had been no prophet within Israel. And so it seemingly appeared that that God's word had gone silent. And yet there was still this promise out there hanging, saying that one would come and declare, prepare the way of the Lord. And after those hundreds of years, he came. So John is this prophet who came, who, whose conception was miraculous. And his prophetic work is evident not just by the words that he speaks, but even his appearance. Did you see that? He's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. Now, this, this is uh, consistent with the qualities that we saw in the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And so, in many ways, John is actually kind of a second Elijah, another Elijah, a, a prophet like Elijah for the early New Testament. That's who he is. And that's who the people were going out to see, to see and to look at and to hear. But he wasn't just a spectacle to stare at, right? I could imagine maybe there were some that, that thought that, right? Hey, kids, you got to see this crazy person, right? He's wearing camel hair, and you want to see something really disgusting? Locust with honey. Like, he's eating grasshoppers, right? Like, let's go look at this guy. Let's go stare, right? Like, some sort of circus novelty sort of deal, right? But that's not what they were doing. They weren't going out to, to see him, to hear him, to, to uh, look at him simply because he looked different or looked strange, they were going out because of his announcement. You see, the most significant thing about John isn't John. It's what he declares. It's his announcement. And what is it that he announces? As the people come out and they listen to him, they announce, he announces, repent. So the rest of the sermon is going to be about his announcement. And the first thing we hear is that they are called to repent. In verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So as the people went out, they heard him saying to them, repent from your ways, turn from your sin, be forgiven. Now, there's a few interesting things going on here that, that maybe we're, uh, we maybe don't pick up right away. The, the first is notice who's coming out. Did you see it in verse 5? All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. So who were the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judea? Well, well it was Israel. It was the people of God. It was those who had had the promises of God, who knew the prophecies of God. It was those who believed that they were part of God's people. They are the ones who are going out and hearing him say, repent, confess, be baptized. That's interesting. Now, the other thing is they were going out and being baptized, and there's some scholarly debate as to what this baptism actually was and wasn't, and, and I will just say it's different than our baptism that we do. It's different than the, the baptisms we see in the later New Testament, okay? So if you want to talk about that some other time, I'd be happy to talk to you, but, but for our purposes, most scholars, or, or at least many scholars, believe that what this baptism was was the baptism that was akin to a Gentile proselyte. So Gentile, someone outside of God's people, would hear about Yahweh, would hear about Israel and what God has done, and would want to convert to Judaism, okay, to be part of Israel. 
And in order to do that, they would have to be ceremonially baptized. They would have to be cleansed. And so many scholars think that that's what's going on here. That that's what this baptism is akin to. Now, I want you to think about that. If that's true, what that implies, right? These are the people of God who are now coming out to be cleansed. They're already the people of God. And yet John is saying, you need to be baptized. You need to repent. You need to be cleansed. He's pushing against this belief that would have been prevalent amongst the Jewish people. That simply because you're ethnically Jewish and you had heard the promises and you knew the rituals and the practices, then you were good with God. That your relationship was good. But what he is saying, what he's telling the people of God, not, not those people, you know who those people are, those people outside the people of God, right? Those people that, that they need to repent for sure. No, he's not talking about those people. He's talking about God's people. It would be like if he came talking to the church and saying to the church, repent, confess, be cleansed. And so we should ask ourselves, so what about us? What about us? Not our neighbor, not our coworker, not the people that we see showing up in our social media feed. Now, where do we need to repent? Where do I? Where do you? See, John's not calling them and us to consider where others repent, right? We spend lots of time doing that. <laughs> Right? And we spend an awful lot of energy focused on how other people need to confess and very little looking into our own hearts and considering our own words and pondering our own actions. And yet that is exactly what John's calling them to do. Repent. Repent of gossip and deception. Repent of gluttony and lust. Repent of greed and divisiveness. Repent of pride and selfishness. Where do we need to repent? Maybe it's one of those things that I just named. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what you've been struggling with. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know what you've been wrestling with the last couple of days or weeks or months. But, but where do we need to repent and to confess John's calling us to repent because by repenting, that's how we find forgiveness. It's only through repentance that we're going to find forgiveness. And so out of Jerusalem and away from Judea, they went into the wilderness. That's also interesting, by the way. They go out into the wilderness, right? They leave the confines of the city. They leave the safety of the temple. They go out into the wilderness, right? And it's in the wilderness that God often met with his people, it was often in the wilderness where God's word was declared to them. And so out to the wilderness they go. It's as though God's people are being reconstituted here around repentance and around the coming king. Because that's the other thing that they heard. They heard not just repent, confess, but they heard the king is coming. That's what we see in verses 7 through 8. John says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we hear what John's saying, right? As significant and as important as John's ministry was, he was only a herald. He was only an announcer. He's like the guy who announces the bride and groom at the reception, right? No one wants to hear the, the announcer until, you know, once he said, here's the bride and groom, right? We want him to be quiet. Let's see the bride and groom. That's basically what's going on here. He's the announcer, he's the proclaimer, he's the herald, and he gets out of the way. There is one more important than me who is coming. And this one, obviously we know, is King Jesus. And I call him king knowing that the text doesn't actually use that word king, but there are some things in the text that point to his kingship. Like in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I know that most of you know that Jesus Christ, that word Christ, it's not his last name, right? It's a title, Jesus the Christ. And the Christ is, is referencing the Messiah. That's what that word means, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so when we hear that, the anointed one, the Messiah, it's hearkening back to the covenants of the Old Testament, specifically to 2 Samuel 7 and the covenant made with David. When God spoke to David through the prophet Nathan and said that there would be one who would come after you, one in your line, a king who would sit on your throne for all time, whose kingdom will know no end. And that was the promise of, that was made to God's people. That an anointed one, a Messiah was coming. The Christ would come, the king of promise. And so when we see Jesus being called the Christ, the son of God, it's pointing to that fact. He is the king. But it's not just his title, it's also this prophecy that we already read, verses 2 and 3, this prophecy from Isaiah and Malachi, speaking of preparing the way. In the context of those prophets, the messenger was preparing the way for the Messiah, the king who would rule with righteousness. And so when John announces Jesus' coming, he is announcing the coming of the king. And look how he describes him. He who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Y'all, this is a remarkable statement. It's a remarkable statement that would be, could be easily lost on us, but not on his hearers. You see, they would have known what he was saying. That John, comparing himself to Jesus is saying he is not worthy to do the worst of any task. And untying one's sandals, that was the worst task. In fact, it was so worse, it was so bad that even a slave was not, was not commanded to do it. A slave would be freed from that responsibility. And you can imagine why this would be a horrible task, right? In their day, they didn't wear closed-toed shoes, right, open toes, sandals, there weren't socks, no odor eaters, right, and just walked around all day long, right, in the streets, right, they were dirty, right, they were dirt streets, so they were dusty and dirty and filthy, and, and it wasn't just people that walked on these streets, but animals did, and, you know, animals leave be, be, behind things that animals leave behind, right, and there they are walking through this, and so at the end of the day, you can imagine the stank and the jank that would be all over their feet, right, and what John is saying, the very task that we won't, 
we won't require a slave to do. Compared to Jesus, I am not worthy to do. That's what he's saying. And this isn't simply false humility. This isn't false humility. No, you see, John understands that as important as he was, and John was important, right? I mean, he is the fulfillment of a prophecy, y'all. Like any, none of us, right? As important, as smart, as, as great as we think we might be, like we're not the fulfillment of prophecy. John was, and yet John understood that Christ was far more significant. That Christ was far more important. He says the king is coming, and when he does, he will transform his people through the Spirit. That's how the passage ends. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was external. Jesus's will be an internal transformation through Christ. What Christ does, sins are forgiven. People are made new. The dead are now alive. Those sins that we were mentioning earlier, right? Those sins that I mentioned that that maybe we need to repent of, those sins that you have in your head, those sins, the only way that they are forgiven is through Christ. He is the only one who does. Christ is the one who forgives us. He is the one who transforms his people who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that there are all sorts of questions about what, what Holy Spirit baptism and second... That's not what John's talking about. He is talking about the transformation that occurs in a person's life when they believe. When Christ renews and restores and forgives our sins, that is what he's talking about, and it is only Christ who does that. And so do you hear what he's announcing? Do you hear what he is proclaiming? Friends, don't ignore the announcer's call. Don't think this is just a test that can go unnoticed. No, hear John's call. Hear his announcement. Repent. Believe. For the king who forgives sins, he has come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you have sent your son, our Lord Jesus. And that he is the one who forgives sins, that he, by his death and resurrection, redeems his people. And so we pray, Lord, that we would not take that grace for granted, but we would look at our lives, we would see our sin, and we would repent. We would confess, we would believe in you, and look to you for the forgiveness of our sins. And so help us to do that, even today, and all of our days, so we would walk in submission to the King who has come. And it's in his name that we pray and all God's people said together, amen.